0: So, what did you want to be when you grew up?
1: Yeah. So for me, a famous footballer was uh, what I wanted to be when I grew up. And safe to say, I've not achieved that. And uh, now at 40 years old, I think it's probably not going to be achievable as well. Yeah.
0: Did you have any particular like player that you wanted to
2: emulate? Or
1: yeah, I th- like Eric Cantona was. Uh, was on the scene uh, really when I was younger Um, so I think yeah his old persona and his footballing ability was something to aspire to Um, and David Batty as well like when I was playing when I was younger um, he was the powerhouse in midfield breaking up play tough tackling so yeah that was. So that was the position I've kind of played there and striker. So yeah, when I saw myself, I'm short like David Batty as well. Or as I remember David Batty, he was short anyway. I don't actually know his height, but yeah, I I have him down as short. I'm all five foot eight, so I'm short myself. So yeah, David Batty, Eric Cantona, a hybrid of the two. Don't know what that would have looked like.
0: Would you have played for any team? Was it that kind of thing or did you have a particular team in mind
1: or anything? No, I think I think anybody. Um really. Just play the game basically. Yes, yeah. Yeah, in my younger days. I suppose this was kind of late primary school, early teens. Yeah, I just loved playing football four or five times a week in playing for the school, training for school, playing for the Sunday t- team, training for the Sunday team. Just a lot of time spent playing football, reading match and shoot, (laughs) collecting Panini stickers. uh, Yeah, everything. Everything football. Yeah.
0: So was that like that was your whole sort of spare time when you were a kid, it was
2: just football, football, football?
1: Football, football, football until kind of the, yeah, fourth and fifth year of school where beer, uh, (laughs) the opposite sex, uh, and music started yeah. to uh, all, all take a bigger part, really. And, yeah, when when I was big into football, we lived in Cornwall. Uh, and, yeah, we, we, we kind of – we lived just outside Truro. And although Cornwall's quite spread out itself, we were close to the school. So access to kind of training and things like that was easy. And then we moved to North Yorkshire, just outside Beedale. And that was more rural, so it was difficult then to access. And there weren't as many teams, which seems weird,
2: yeah,
1: really, because uh, I suppose Cornwall's not a place you would associate, you know, there's not loads of footballers from Cornwall or, you know, teams down that way, Plymouth yeah, and Exeter, yeah. really. Whereas Yorkshire, you know, you would think of it as a, as a very footballing kind of county and things. So, yeah, just kind of probably coming of that age and it being a bit more difficult to access football yeah that dream kind of went away then really
2: (laughs) Leeds Leeds Leeds
3: what is happening welcome to episode 18 of working hours a show about a place called Leeds a time called now and an activity called work my name is Simon and you're listening to my guest Chris Salt This is another Zoom interview, recorded on the 31st of May, 2021. A quick note on this batch of interviews, they were recorded hastily over Zoom, and unfortunately I had to resort to using the mic on my webcam to record my audio, so it's pretty poor. Transcriptions for the podcasts are coming, but for now, please just bear with me. My guest's audio has largely been fine through these interviews, and as these interviews are largely made up of my guest speaking, it shouldn't impair them too much. Going forward, I feel I'm really happy with having the cold open, then music, then a quick intro, then straight back into the interview format. And I want to use my outros on the show for any other business. Letters, news, maybe even some features. Suggestions, of course, are welcome. Email the show at workinghourspod at western studios.com. It's still important to me that as a listener, you get a sense of discovery as you listen to these interviews. It's also important to me that I curate the interviews well. As a podcast, and as a social document. That's a process of discovery, finding that balance for myself. Okay, enough diversion, let's crack on. Chris Salt is currently a Partnerships Executive at Lighters Trust. lighters support families facing children's cancer in Yorkshire. They're involved in all sorts of different projects to help ordinary families who are facing extraordinary circumstances. Chris helps Candlelighters build and maintain its donor relationships with businesses. You can find out more about Candlelighters and all the important work that they do at candlelighters.org.uk. If you're a loiner and you're listening to this and you think you might be able to answer questions that you already know all the answers to, then please get in touch with me to arrange a time for us to record for this show. Email me at workinghourspod at western-studios.com with a short bio and some suggestions of your availability. Also, drop me a line if you have any queries or feedback, complaints, compliments. You can leave a review for me. I haven't had any feedback yet, so it would be great to see any. If you can leave a really good review for me, that would be really
0: good.
1: So what are you doing now? So now I'm a, a fundraiser at the charity Candlelighters. Okay. Um, so I don't know if you know about Candlelighters or whether that would be useful.
0: To uh, yeah, if you tell us a bit about it. Then.
1: Yeah, so we support families who've been affected by childhood cancer. Um, so that's predominantly across yorkshire in terms of our support services but part of what we do at candlelighters as well is we invest in research and that research is internationally recognized so while there's a yorkshire element to that there's an international uh, and wider kind of scope of that as well so yeah not quite the professional footballer i'd envisaged
2: <laughs>
1: uh but actually you know I'd have probably finished a footballing career now anyway Um, so who knows where I would have been so yeah Candlelighters as a fundraiser I predominantly work uh, on our business fundraising side so working with organisations across the county generally about what fundraising why fundraising is important to them and Mm -hmm. how that then makes a difference for candlelighters the families we support the services and help that we can offer so yeah
0: so how long have you been doing this now
1: so it will be two years in july uh yeah. very topical um this will date this podcast but yeah I spent quite a bit of time on furlough fully furloughed and flexible yeah. furlough across across the last year really so although Two years in July, working time out of that um, will be a little bit under that, but, yeah, yeah, almost two years.
0: So, had you been – so, what, you, you'd you have been there knocking on a year before you went into for, to furlough?
1: Yeah, so July 2019 started, yeah. end of July. So, yeah, a few – what will it have be, been? Eight, nine months um, yeah. before furlough and the pandemic turned everything upside down. Uh, yeah and then
0: not not working from home just totally totally furloughed and waiting to be activated I suppose
1: yeah totally furloughed for April until I came back one day a week in August I have two young children so it was kind of a a mutual thing where candlelighters are very helpful in understanding the pressures that we were at the beginning of that, you know, trying to work from home whilst homeschooling the kids. Um, so it was, you know, a decision that helped protect the charity's finances yeah. and also helped alleviate some of those pressures at home. So, you know, was really grateful yeah. for switching one full-time role uh to becoming Mr. salt the 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 teacher of whilst my wife became mrs salt the teacher of (laughs) um so yeah yeah but it it was quite difficult that as well in you know a job that i love doing and then being sidelined in a way you know through something that needed to happen and i was fully occupied and immersed in being the teacher but yeah kind of a, a weird thing as well almost like watching everything from the outside of the the place that I love to work and a cause that I'm very passionate about. So, yeah, yeah, an unusual time.
0: So, I mean, was the the teaching the thing that gave you the kind of structure through the days of, because, you know, you get sick of looking at the inside of your house and you get sick of doing your your standard walk each day. You will, don't you?
1: Yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I think, um, yeah, we were very structured it in that way. So we did put a timetable up on the wall as much for ourselves as well as the kids. You know, yeah. we get up and have breakfast as a family. We would start at a certain time each day. We'd take lunch more or less at the same time each day, finish as well. So, yeah, just... To help us all, that that kind of structure really, really helped. Yeah.
0: So how is it going back into are you back in the office yet? Are you working from home or are you are you normally out of the office anyway?
1: Yeah, a little bit of a hybrid. Um, so yeah, kind of back so after Christmas came back full time, although then we went into another lockdown. So I was using furlough and longer lunches to look after the kids. Uh, whilst my wife went to work she tends to work the lunchtime hours so that was quite challenging switching focus from you know doing the day job in the morning having the kids and lunch and trying to do some teaching in the kind of middle part of the day and then switching focus back to work Um, but then yeah the last few months have been kind of working from home mainly full-time and then since the kind of messaging of stay at home has been lifted then we've been encouraged to use the office again um it won't go back you know to kind of five days a week in the office probably some hybrid yeah model really of you know do what works for you um but certainly that time in the office where i'm around colleagues and we can you know do meetings together and collaborate on things face to
0: face so how how do you go about the the fundraising is it you just sort of calling people business to business and saying this is what we do you know are you looking for their sponsorship teams like how do you go about it
1: yeah I I think it's for me and, and I'm still learning this as well I mean we're constantly learning anyway aren't we but um this is the first charity I've worked at so um yeah still still lots to learn but I think it's there's a multitude of different things. It's inviting businesses, and businesses are people, aren't they? You know, an organisation is made up of individuals, and we know that it's good to give. You know, if, if we do something, whether that's we make a charitable donation or we volunteer or, you know, on a personal level, if we do something that helps somebody else, we might not always do that to feel good about ourselves, but quite a nice byproduct of you know doing something good for somebody else is that we do feel good. So I suppose I view it as I, I have the opportunity to give people the opportunity to do something good that will, one, impact on the families we support, but to make them feel good about themselves as well. So it, I think it's understanding the business, and it can be that. Fundraising is a great staff engagement tool to, Mm -hmm. as we've just said there, make people feel good. That can increase team morale. You know, it can encourage people from different departments and teams to work together who haven't worked together, um, to come together on something meaningful. Mm -hmm. Um, So, that, yeah, kind of staff engagement can be one thing. Sponsorship is another way, or quite often there can be synergies between our organization and companies as well in terms of who who we support. So we support families. You know, if an organization's products lend themselves to that, it can be that, you know, we can create something that adds value both to them and us as well. So something around cause-related marketing where it might be X amount from the sale of a product goes to the charity. So that, you know, helps us. It can help the organization with their product and selling their product uh, Mm -hmm. in the marketplace as well. So yeah, lots of different kind of reasons that a company could want to be involved. And I think my role as a fundraiser is to understand that Mm -hmm. and help that organisation support candlelighters, essentially.
0: Yeah. So I like my experience with, with, Fundraising is sort of you know those. I've been into places where they they're, they're hiring those people that are in the streets that are bothering you in town of like can you know, I just stop you for five minutes to get a two pound a month donation. Um, how did you get into the fundraising field? Because I, I previously knew you before when I was working at Leeds City College and you were an MBQ uh, assessor then. Yeah. Um, how did you get into fundraising?
1: Yeah, and I think this is tied into probably my whole working life and I've just been speaking you know as I've been for a run this month well I say speaking on the downhill bits I can speak some of the yeah. uphill bits it's a struggle um so yeah we've been talking about I've, I've kind of had three careers and kind of the two before almost mm. decade blocks so I came out of college and got into retail management. And I think that was because my dad had been a manager. And mm. so my footballing career hadn't taken off. Yeah, we, The band hadn't been tapped up as the next Oasis. Yeah. Uh, so that hadn't materialized. And then quite by chance, yeah. really, I, I got a job as a trainee manager at 18 at the, you know, now defunct Toys R Us, which, you know, pains yeah. me to say. Um, and, and that was great. I spent kind of 10 years in retail, um, finished off my retail career at m and And there were lots of good things about it, but mm. I, I just didn't find it very fulfilling. I didn't find it meaningful for myself. Um, but what I did enjoy was in my role as a manager, I could train and develop people and bring people yeah. on. Yeah. So then that's what I then spent ten years in kind of apprenticeships and m v q world um, yeah. so selling well, kind of taking people through their apprenticeships. Yeah. so that kind of helped me a little bit, kind of fulfill that, giving something back, people mm-hmm. development um, mm-hmm. so that was so that was good and then in the in the kind of final years of that stint in apprenticeships and training, I was more. Selling um, those as a solution into organizations. Mm-hmm. So that sales experience then led me to look and see that I got some transferable skills that could translate in into charity. So I, I suppose the retail career I picked up some aspects of there that were fulfilling to me. Apprenticeships again, kind of felt like a step closer to charity, although I didn't know it at the time. But, you know, kind of profit and I suppose retail is very much driven by a profit, sometimes and less so now, but sometimes at the expense of anything else. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, didn't really like that. I felt like I was, you know, making people buy stuff, encouraging people to buy stuff that they didn't need. um so then in in the apprenticeship world and where we work together at Leeds City College obviously that's not the profit yeah um so that kind of felt like a step but then still didn't really feel completely fulfilled in what I was doing yeah again still didn't find it meaningful enough um and then you know unfortunately my one of my colleagues at the time, one of her family members, um, was supported by candlelighters. Right. And it was a time when I'd just taken up running uh, right. in 2019. So I did the Sheffield Half Marathon, was looking for a charity. And as I say, it was at that time that my um, work colleague's family member was diagnosed. So i raised money for candlelighters. Found out more about the charity and the support that they provided to families. And that was very, very attractive to me in terms of the impact that that had on people's lives when they were going through something unimaginable. And I've got kids myself. Yeah. So, yeah, began to find out more about the charity and, yeah, was just blown away by what they did. And then, you know, to look back on it, without sounding too woo-woo, potentially, it 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 seems like things just lined up, and not you know, not in the way that through somebody else's misfortune. Yeah, yeah. that's not what I'm talking about. But
0: it's kind of like all your skills sort of seem to be the right skill set for this particular role going. That way, yes. and it was interesting, and something that you thought was really valuable.
1: Yes, yeah, and you know, you know they'd had the v- candlelighters had had that vacancy out for a long time, and had tried to recruit for it,
2: yeah,
1: a number of times, and the people weren't quite right, yeah, yeah. At, uh, like almost out, I think, for six months, which is a long time to have a vacancy out.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, they must have seen a lot of people. You must have heard that they. Because if you're advertising for that long, I mean, I don't know if it's still the case, but, you know, sort of since 2008 that you hear, you're always hearing about every job's got like 500 applications for it. And so,
2: yeah,
0: must have had people kind of applying, but just not had the right people.
1: Yeah. Which, you know, if it's just a, it's just a, yeah, to look back on it, 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 uh, it feels like it, it was there for me. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which which sounds woo woo. um, But yeah, <laughs>
0: I think that's kind of the case, though, you kind of see it a lot, you know, with uh, I've talked to a couple of people starting their own businesses and people that have their own businesses and quite often, you know, especially when you start with sort of going back to their childhood and they kind of go through things and even people that haven't seen those connections, straight away are kind of like oh yeah that kind of yeah it all makes sense they all fit together quite neatly
1: yeah
0: it, it's strange how the things work out but then it, it's very easy to look back on something and miss out all the other details and go oh that's a nice little story
1: yes yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah definitely
0: so um. um yeah so are you are you mainly phone based then or are you going to the businesses or um yeah, what, what's your day-to-day like? What how, how would your normal day be?
1: Yeah, and it's difficult to answer that question with some restrictions still in place. Yeah, uh, yeah. is there a typical day anymore? I don't know. <laughs> um, there's quite a lot of um, Zoom meetings, telephone yeah. calls, and some of those will be with existing supporters. Some of those will be with potential donors and supporters um so it can be a, a variety the, there has been the odd um meeting that I've been able to go to and those will become more uh, yeah. which I'm really looking forward to because yeah I get to go and talk to people about what the charity does mm. to start partnerships mm. I get to go and encourage people along their journey of fundraising I get to go at you know, if it's perhaps a, a relationship for a period of time, mm-hmm. I get to go at the end of that and do the big check presentation and talk to people again. <laughs> We've still got the big check.
2: Yeah, that must be fun.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I, just thinking about that now, we don't really pay by check anymore, do we? But I can't really go with a backs transfer, bank state, a big
2: don't receive
0: the
1: yeah yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> it doesn't have the same sort of pr
2: <laughs> magic does it
1: <laughs> no no so yeah it the, the, a typical day it it can just vary so much really a, a typical week would involve some of those things lots of time on the telephone hmm. speaking to people lots of time on zoom hopefully uh speaking to people and yeah Hopefully we can transition to more face-to-face, in-person stuff because it just feels better. And I think there's, you know, some time savings and um, logistical things that Zoom and online uh, Mm. meetings can help with. But, yeah, we've evolved to be around each other as a species, haven't we? And I think it just feels altogether better. being around people
2: yeah
0: i mean and like just that's made me think of sort of the differences i mean would you prefer an actual phone call over a zoom meeting if you you know from a fundraising perspective do you think it's do you think you're making more of a connection with a person on a phone than you can with zoom or do you think it's Do you think zoom has its own
2: benefits
1: yeah I I i think the online zoom and teams because you can see people um so i think that adds an extra dimension that a telephone call doesn't Mm -hmm. particularly when you've not met somebody um Mm -hmm. so I, i think that's good i i think it's a balance as well you know we talk about people having zoom fatigue and i certainly know a lot of our team meetings and all charity meetings take place over Zoom. And if you've had half a day of that, to add more Zoom can be yeah. a challenge. So I think it's... But, yeah, I think in terms of connecting, I think it's good to have the option, and it is something I will always give the person I'm speaking to the mm. option of choosing, because I think some of it is understanding their workplace. So sometimes... yeah. I offered it out to somebody and she's like, well, I work on reception. So a phone calls. Great. So sometimes there's, you know, what works best in terms of the other person's work environment to factor in as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I suppose you've got to be very adaptable to people and and you've got to be quite sort of big on your customer service skills. And um, I mean, it sounds, it sounds sort of like sales, but without the, you know, the, the sort of,
1: hard sell is that fair yeah it is and i think that that's it you know those transferable skills were from a sales environment Mm. uh the end product if you like is very different so Mm. you know from my marks and spencer's days of Mm. selling people tins of baked beans and things (laughs) which (laughs) were a necessity uh, but maybe people didn't feel that great having bought their tin of beans. Um, yeah. You know, now the end result is people are making a difference to other people's lives. So, mm. uh, but yes, those kind of key things of influence and, you know, persuasion. Yeah. Being able to talk to people and connect with people and build rapport.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh essential you know as, as they were in in the sales role as well
2: yeah
0: i mean because uh, you mentioned transferable skills a couple of times and i've, I've mentioned it myself already in, in a couple of other interviews but i haven't really sort of delved into it and i think you'd be a good person to kind of explore this with so i mean obviously in an employment sort of environment you you always hear about transferable skills And it seems very difficult for a lot of people especially if they've been in a particular sector or a particular role for a long time you know you get into this sort of well i know i only know how to do this job i don't how would i how would i do another job i've heard heard a lot of people say those kind of things Um. how how did you like did you always just realize that these skills could to transfer into a different sector a different industry or like I would imagine if you didn't before, by the time you were doing the apprenticeship work, you'd be thinking like that. So you'd be looking for people's, like, well, this skill you can use in any job, this skill you can use in any job. Like, what's your, how did you kind of hear about transferable skills? What's your relationship to it? And how good are you at kind of identifying those for yourself?
1: Yeah. Oh, I suppose probably through my, own changes of career you know switching from retail into apprenticeships i probably in hindsight recognize that that was a change but the things i've learned in my management role and in retail about customer service and leading people and how retail works all then helped me deliver that knowledge to apprentices in those areas and you know things like business business administration and those things so I've probably seen myself switch and take those skills with me into a into a new career mm. and then yeah you know working with apprentices who you know could be doing a business admin apprenticeship in one environment mm. but you know every organization needs some administration so you know and a a lot you know it can be different in one business and one sector and different in another one so i suppose seeing the bigger picture and trying to impart that to other people Mm. you know as they were 16 18 potentially not everybody was that young you know some people were Doing a management qualification at a later stage, or a team leader to help with their development. So, but yeah, it was always. Sometimes I would hear grumblings of, you know, oh, I don't really like where I work, or like you said, there, I'm 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 here, but I'd like to be in this different role. So I think seeing people transition themselves and talk about my own journey probably helped a lot with that realization of transferable skills and i think as well reflecting on on myself that i think it was rather than as you put it there having almost like a closed mindset i've only i've only done this job you're already talking yourself into that place whereas actually if i broaden that out and think where else could these skills be useful? I think that's much more open Mm. and you will then see opportunities rather than closing down any opportunities by thinking this is the only place I can work because these are the only skills.
0: Yeah, I think some of that as well is, you know, kind of, I think for myself, uh, when I, initially looking at sort of my job roles when i was looking at other roles i'd be like well i'm doing x skill or whatever uh, for this but you don't necessarily think you know you you think of doing it in that industry in that role a lot of the time and like you say there it's you know it's, it's defining what the actual thing you're doing is what the actual skill is and then going right well that's applicable to so many other things and so many other roles and industries and so on uh so whether it's you know like event planning or something like that it's like if you've worked in theater and you've worked on a show you've also done event planning and you know you put a little conference or you have put a meeting on it's still event planning but they scale up in different ways but you still have to go through like getting a room getting catering getting all the people invited making sure they've turned up making sure that they've got all the details like they're kind of Basics of your your event planning. Um, there isn't a question here. <laughs> just... No,
1: no, I, I, but I think it's um, I think it's, uh, and I don't know whether this is just myself or people at large. I think it's recognized. It's quite easy because you only see it through your own eyes to mm. gloss over or not fully recognize what skills and things you've built up over that period of time. So like you say, until you start think, thinking and breaking it down, maybe getting a little bit more granular on what was involved in something, mm. then actually give yourself credit for those things Yeah. that then can be, you know, ah, well, actually I have done X, Y, and Z. Or, you know, if you're looking at a person specification for some way you think you might like to move into to start looking at those job descriptions and then start relating and person specifications and then start relating, oh, well, actually, yeah, I might not have done that in that context as a fundraiser, using my own example, mm. but I've done it in a sales environment over here. So if I can talk about that yeah. and put it across in a way that actually says, not done it in that environment, but I have done it here and here's my example of it, Yeah, then I think, you know yeah. you can you can demonstrate to yourself and if you can believe it yourself you can demonstrate it to other people as well
0: yeah it's kind of like i haven't built this house before but
1: i have built a house before so. yes <laughs> yeah 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 good analogy
0: yeah um so uh let's let's go into uh candlelighters a bit more then so as i say i, I wasn't familiar with them before um are they a Fairly new charity, then? They've been around for
2: years or?
1: Yeah, so uh, we started in 1976, so 45 45 years. And we've grown in that time. We're still probably classed as a small to medium sized charity. There's around 25 staff uh, who work there. But yeah, you know, when we first started, it was very much kind of financial grants that we provided and being on a journey as a charity then to always see how we could better support and serve the families that we do based on what need there is there. Um, So we've, you know, we now grow where we provide emotional financial practical support. We've got accommodation Mm -hmm. that we've purchased and renovated a four bedroom property. That means, families can stay in safe, clean accommodation that's close to the hospital and there's no charge for that. Yeah. So, it, yeah, we've evolved a lot over that period of time as well and we will continue to evolve mm. um, so that we can continue to better serve families um, who we support.
0: Obviously, with the past
1: year, I mean,
0: and with everyone on furlough, I mean, was it everybody on furlough or did you have like a sort of skeleton crew still sort of working?
1: Yeah, it, it was um, a skeleton crew, really. So there was a couple of us fully furloughed, those who had kids, I think, really, or where the job role was that there was no requirement in the current setting. Uh, so, for example, because everything was closed down, we didn't need any volunteers. Therefore. Mm. You know, the person who looked after volunteers, you know, wasn't required at that time. So yeah. there was, there was a mix, really, time and of fully furloughed, full time working, and everything in between, really, on that spectrum. Yeah. I I mean, it's because
0: it, it it's an odd it's an odd thing. So you you kind of you're working in an area where you're trying to bring in more revenue, and you know, like both to sustain the organisation and to grow the organisation and then it's kind of well stay at home for a while while <laughs> we go through this crazy thing it's got to be kind of strange coming back to it now like are you because as well so many businesses are in this weird transition phase of like some people are in some people are not in or nobody's gone in yet so just starting up again is it is it much harder now than it than it was before or is it just is it is it not worth doing yet what's the situation at the moment
1: yeah i um and i suppose it's the view you take of it a lot of the supporters we have are, have supported us for a while and will probably continue to support us for a while as well and i think it's it's relational yeah and Uh, You know, I think, yes, we need to sustain as a charity, obviously, but I think it's maintaining a relationship throughout that time period and organizations go through peaks and troughs. Yeah. Yes, we're all, you know, a lot of organizations who support us have really struggled. You know, we've got some hospitality supporters who, totally closed same with retail and conversely we've had you know others maybe in the technology sector where there's been a real upswing for them and you know it's kind of about growth and actually they've struggled perhaps to give us as much time because they've been so busy as opposed to those who you know just haven't been open at all so I I think it's understanding that and people are still invested in the cause even if they might not be able to give at that time yeah and actually what's important to me is to maintain that relationship yeah throughout that period of time if that's how are things with you it's not great let's have a talk about that you know is there anything i could do to help yeah that that might help in that situation and i think it's Yeah, I think it goes back to kind of heading into meetings and and conversations with how can I help you, essentially, rather than how can I raise money out of you, which is not, not, you know, uh, I think short-term that maybe works, but, you know, long-term for me as an individual as well, that just feels better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely a lot of in-office fundraising, I think, has been difficult. But then it's been great to see how businesses have, have adapted and come up with their own ideas about how things can be different. So yes, you might not be in the office, but if we want to do a wear pink to work day, we can still do that, whether we're from home or in the office. Um things like challenge events, so the things like you know, the uh, great North Run and the Leeds running events and York running events and marathons and things. Businesses have reimagined those, which has been really great to see. So one of our supporters, uh, Shoesmiths, did a trek across America, uh, which was great. And then another of our supporters did a tour de CDS. Um, so they did a race because the competitive element in fundraising helps fundraising uh, yeah. so they did a race between all their different locations uh, which involved running cycling and rowing because they've uh, an office in Ireland so it's just been really good to see how people have wanted to continue to support the cause have actually found something that's been able to bring everybody together even though everybody's working from home and in different offices and had a good time and and being creative with that so
2: yeah well still be yeah. yeah um
0: yeah so uh, as you were talking there i mean it, it you know i said initially it's quite it, it sounds quite salesy but obviously you've got quite a lot of business relationship management going on there as well Laura. um so is is there ever any tension between that sort of bringing money in and and, and also managing the existing relationships or does it balance quite nicely because you're a charity and you don't have that financial pressure of like, get the money, get the money, get the money. Like, I, But you do as well because it's, it's like we're a charity. We're not selling stuff. We need the money to do our thing. So how does that
2: work?
1: Yeah. And again, you know, sales, salespeople will have different mindsets. I, I have a financial target as you say, so that we can deliver the services to families and and provide what we need to provide. And, you know, that gets talked about on a monthly basis because Mm -hmm. I think sometimes there's a perception that, oh, well, it's a charity. Yeah, but the charity won't exist if we, you know, we have to operate as a business, you know, profit and loss and everything else. So that does take place. So, yes, I have a financial target, but I think, For myself, again, it's what things do I need to do that would deliver that financial target? So take the pressure off myself and actually what are the things I'm in control of. I can't control whether a business wants to partner with us. I can have a great conversation. I can talk about the difference we make. I can encourage them to do that. But ultimately, the the decision and at what level they want to be involved is entirely up to them. So, yeah, I, I, I can't influence the amount they want to be involved at, but I can make sure that I look after the, our existing supporters so that they're recognised and thanked and supported along their journey, as I say, relevant to what they want to do for their organisation so that it delivers that so I I think it's that understanding of of that it is it is sales but it's customer service essentially it's again it just goes back to understanding that organization the people who work there what's important to them and how how can I support them on that and I think where there's Clarity on that and a, a congruence. Then it becomes easier to support them along that journey. And, 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 and those are the conversations with potential new supporters as well is, you know, this is who candlelighters are. This is what we do. Yeah. But really help me understand your world. What's important to you as a business? What's important to you as an individual? And is there something we can create that's mutually beneficial from here on in? And sometimes there is, and sometimes there isn't. And sometimes there isn't straight away, but there is further down the line. And Yeah, yeah.
0: Because, I I mean, you know, you must be sort of, now isn't the right time for us, but then some people will come back, you know. I mean, you hear it a lot of like, oh, no, not now, but that doesn't automatically mean a no you know and some people will will kind of come back is the job mostly is it mostly in your head you know is it like oh I I know this business and those people there so it's all sort of in your mind because you're actually building you know actual relationships with people or is it very kind of database driven and you're kind of like right who are these people yes I remember them I know what they're doing like how how I suppose you'll have a spectrum of these relationships that's, are they mostly quite, that's the word I'm looking for here, like are they quite kind of, do you know people quite well from it or is it really just much more professional sort of collegiate kind of level? What? How does that kind of work out?
1: Yeah, it, it depends really because individuals are all so different Um yeah. at, I'm fairly open book. I have a little kind of three kind of bullet point kind of value system that kind of operate on a daily basis. So every day I'll kind of think, right, I'm going to be fab. So it's it's a mnemonic that is fun, authentic and brave. So that's kind of in the morning. That's how I set my day up, which might sound a bit cliche and people might be vomiting in the mouths as I say that but it works for me
0: it's a system (laughs) it's a
1: system yeah yeah and it just reminds me you know and my kids are the same as well like you know when, when they go off to school right have fun be brave be kind that is just our household type of thing and you know it seems to work for them it seems to work for all of us but um so yeah authenticity to me is being open Mm. um, and having those conversations. So, yeah, there's there's people who I have relationships with where I know about the family life, I know what job the other half does, how old the kids are, what they enjoy doing. Um, And there's others where it is more professional um, and, and everything in between. And, yeah, before children, I used to have quite a good memory. Um, so I would be able to remember uh, quite a lot of stuff off the top of my head about people post sleepless nights and broken sleep and those things. I have a bit more of a reliance on, on a database. Um, and I, there's only me at Candlelight as who looks after businesses and we, we've probably got about 150 businesses who will support us. So being able to remember yeah, you can. everything and, and there's multiple yeah. relationships at those businesses yeah. as well so um i'd like to think i do a fairly good job but yeah, yeah. Th- there's only so much bandwidth yeah. i've got yeah. to play yeah. with yeah. so but yeah it, it, it's great to be able to because some of those relationships almost be yeah there's a number that i would almost class as a friendship really as opposed to some sort of master server i think sometimes okay. in fundraising can have the mindset of you don't go in with the begging cup uh please support us whereas actually as I say back to the kind of mindset thing is that I'm giving opportunity to businesses and individuals to feel good yeah uh, and support a great cause that makes a difference so I think then when you view things as a, a partnership of equals then why wouldn't you have a a great relationship if the other person's open to to that. Yeah. But we are all different, aren't we? You know, some people have a professional life and that's how they like to operate and they're maybe very different outside and, you know, that's fine. So, Yeah, yeah. but it means
0: you have to be quite flexible. You have to switch between, you know, your kind of more professional persona to your more friendly persona and kind of navigate through that. Um, and when you came into the role, I'm imagining that a lot of those relationships were already established was it difficult at all slotting into that and kind of working out where where people wanted to be pitched at and you know what they expected from you as a business did you have any sort of oh it's somebody different doing this now I'm not sure about the company
1: (laughs) yeah yeah because people do relate to people and obviously candlelighters is and will always be candlelighters but Yeah, the the interaction with candlelighters is very much dependent on the person who they're speaking to. So it has, and I've had a couple of, there hasn't always been uh, only me and the team. A couple of colleagues left uh, at the beginning of this year and they held and maintained a lot of those relationships. So that has been a challenge really, is understanding building up those relationships Mm. and particularly you know well it's like forming a new friendship really or going on a date with somebody it's like oh how is this going to be are there going to be any awkward silences what is the other person interested in Um, and then I think again a, a realization for me is how can I help this other person Get to know me, like how can we've set up a meeting, how can I help the other person have a really good meeting? yeah, and again, that just changes things so that you're trying to see things through their eyes and again if if I'm then authentic and open, mm. that should hopefully help the other person, and I'm genuinely interested in them as an individual and what's important to them,
2: yeah,
1: then again, it's. It, it's a two way thing they have a great meeting and get to know me and i get to know them so it's it kind of works on a lot of different levels really but yeah it can be daunting yeah to, with some of those but, you know if they're long standing and they've had a great relationship with the previous fundraiser yeah I'm quite susceptible to self doubt anyway. So I'll be like, oh, you know, what if they don't have a great relationship with me? And what if they stop supporting candlelighters? <laughs> It'll
2: all be my fault.
1: It'll all be my fault. Yeah. <laughs> my career in fundraising <laughs> will be short lived. <laughs>
0: uh, when you were saying that, it made me think again of going back to earlier in the conversation of like, again, transferable skills and sort of the the previous experience. I mean, you know, your, your, your background comes in, in handy there, like not just the customer service stuff and the, the organization from retail, but also the, you know, the, the coaching and developing sort of side, uh, with people, because I suppose part of the relationship as well is like, they're getting to know you, but they're also getting to know the organization, especially someone new coming in. So you know, you're always able to give them a little bit more information about what's going on and what's happened with a particular case or something else that you're doing so that they're constantly learning. So you've got, it, it sounds to me like you've got quite a few good icebreakers to go into any kind of fresh meeting, you know, from, yeah. your, from your football experience to your sales experience to your, your um, assessing experience. So uh, do I have a question with this? I don't think I do. But yeah, well, do you have anything to respond
2: to
1: there? Yeah, well, it's interesting as well. So going back to um, what you said about kind of childhood and things like that. So as I mentioned, I moved to Cornwall. So I, well, when I lived in I was born in Scarborough. I uh, don't know if that's allowed on this podcast, but too late now. Uh, <laughs> cats out of the bag. So within Scarborough, I moved School once. Then I moved to Cornwall, and was at primary school because of the time we moved. I was in year six for uh, just after Easter, so just one term.
2: Yeah.
1: Then I went to secondary school, so that was another change of well two schools really. And then I came back up north, so that was another change of school. And then I went to a our school didn't have a six form or anything like that, so I went to a different college. So. I think there was always the need to be able to connect with people and make friends quickly. Yeah, yeah. And, and maybe some of this is fitting in and, and settling in and things. Um, so, yeah, it was important to kind of be able to build relationships quickly. And obviously, I would never think in those terms as a seven or eight-year-old you know, year old changing school for the first time. But reflecting back... I think it is those things and remembering who people are, you know, maybe their likes and dislikes. Yeah. That helped me settle in. Yeah. And then those, so, yeah, not even thinking about, you know, kind of a career in school, doing those things. Hmm. And, and then that's continued throughout. So apprenticeships, you know, I, I would be notified of, Right, you've got this apprentice in this company, and that's the manager. Off you go. Yeah. Right. So you're walking into somebody else's workplace to meet people you've never ever met before. (laughs) And and off you go. And you need to build that relationship and trust. And, uh, you know, they need to believe in your competence and integrity in what you're doing. And can you assimilate these, you know, generic, um competencies that the apprentice will need to demonstrate can you then make that applicable to that individual workplace in that individual sector so you're having to be really flexible with those things as well and um there's a line in an ian brown song which kind of sticks out to me and he's using it in a way that's i think meant to be kind of um, denigrating and not a positive aspect, but the the line is you're a social chameleon, you change to suit the people around you, and there is that adaptability to help kind of connect with somebody wherever yeah. they are. So I, I've, I've I've volunteered with homeless charities in the past and given up a lot of my time to people who are homeless on the streets, and I'll just stop and have a conversation Mm. with that individual at the level they're at. Mm. Um, And then, yes, in my day job now, we're dealing with law firms and accountants and, Mm. you know, the professional financial services industry. But I would like to think that I can connect with somebody there as well as I can with somebody who's got nothing and... Yeah, You know, lots of different things in between. I think that social chameleon is really an adaptability and flexibility to just connect with people, really.
0: Mm. Do you think you sort of, how am I I phrasing this? What I basically want to ask is sort of from your perspective, um, that social chameleon aspect, do you think your adaptability and your ability to kind of pitch these things at the different levels comes from sort of having that wide experience? Or do you think that that's something that's, like you say, you know, sort of from school is more developed in you of like, you, you're you able to pick up social cues. You're able to kind of look for things of like familiar ground of like, oh, they mentioned that they must be into to this. If I start talking about that, that's a good sort of icebreaker. Uh, which, which way do you think that developed? Do you think it's a bit of both or do you think it's more one or the other?
1: Yeah good question um it's a little bit chicken and egg isn't it really yeah Yeah, i i I don't know because i don't know how strong a part that kind of change in school really played would i have been like this anyway Mm -hmm. um you know was some of it in my nature is i've got seven sisters three brothers so is some of it kind of family life and that kind of nature environment. Um, Yeah, I suppose I've always been, been regarded as, interestingly, as somebody who would be outgoing. Yeah, actually, I would regard myself as probably sitting in between introvert, extrovert. I like time on my own, but... I do like to be around other people. I think there's ambivert. I think is the middle ground. If I remembered that right, I've I've created a new category of uh, (laughs) of people. Yeah. So so yeah, I don't know really. There's I suppose there's lots of you know playing football a lot, team sport, Mm. you know, building relationships with those other players and understanding them and yeah he's got the ball i know he's gonna leg it so i need to be sit behind to support him there's that element i suppose being in a band and performing there's a reliance on those other people and a kind of shared understanding with those whilst also you know i remember one particular write-up talked and this isn't blowing myself up, this is just relevant to, to what we're saying, but, like, about me making a connection with the crowd, and I didn't have a microphone, so it wasn't, you know, delivered through that. So, yeah, I, I don't know, really. Yeah. It's where I've arrived at. It doesn't, doesn't answer any question. Oh, do. no,
0: I, I don't know is a perfectly good answer. You <laughs> should accept that more, right? Like. I think we feel a lot of pressure to always always know an answer or always be right now. And, you know, it's like, well, no, we're, we're people, we're human. We, we don't know everything and we get things wrong.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I think it's good to kind of remind ourselves of that occasionally. I think, yeah, from what you said as well, though, I think it's it's kind of, it's a constantly developing skill set that's that reinforces itself, you know, like you said, from the football to the, you know, to... Your various other jobs it's uh and the bands and you know you you're always well we're always working on how we work with other people and you know and how much energy we can give to that for some of us it's kind of like oh enough people and for other people it's like, more people more more. yeah <laughs> So, and and a lot of those i think you know some of it's just a dice roll of like how how those things land for you but you know from what you've said i think it's you know it's a school it's a skill set that's part of your personality that you know it, it sort of enriches itself naturally it's a, yeah. a, a positive feedback is what i'm thinking of
1: yeah yeah so it becomes a feedback loop but all those things are develop- 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 developable developable <laughs> developable trainable you you know like yeah you know the first time of speaking to somebody who was asking for money on the streets is a time of well i don't know what to say yeah will i say the wrong thing yeah. all that but take it down to its base level it's just about connecting with a, another human being yeah.
0: it's just talking to someone
1: yeah <laughs> at, at its most basic fundamental level and i, I think that's it with a lot of work is whether that's your work colleagues or if you've got a customer facing role Mm. well you either have internal customers or external customers or both so I think that's what it comes down to really isn't it is the ability to interact with other people
3: it comes down to the ability to interact with other people there's bonus material for this interview which will be posted on the patreon once i have some subscribers there if you're listening to this and you qualify to be a guest on this show that is if you are in leeds whether you live here but work outside the city or you live outside the city and work here or if you are from leeds and you're working abroad or in any other uk city get in touch tell me what you do what do you like about it what don't you like about it what might you do different or instead Why do you do it? Please remember to like, share and subscribe to this show. Please become a Patreon. It's only a quid a month. So go to www.patreon.com forward slash working hours pod to become a regular supporter. I will get to a thousand of these, but I will do it quicker if you like, share and provide financial contributions so that we can raise the operating ability to reach those thousand loiners. And of course, for any loiner listening to this the biggest help is you coming on the podcast. It's not scary and it's not stressful and your voice will sound so much better with intro and outro music bracketing it. You can also appear anonymously if that helps. I'm really interested to hear from anyone in Leeds or from Leeds in whatever industry, sector or role you are in. What is your experience? How do you feel about work? What do you like and not like? What do you do, Leeds? email this podcast now Working Pod at western-studios.com with a short bio and some suggestions of your availability to hashtag be my guest leads or just send your feedback questions comments and queries you can also follow this show on twitter at working hours three and on instagram at working leads next time On Working Hours, I will be speaking to someone else, and you will find out about that next time. Same Leeds time, same Leeds channel. Working Hours is presented, edited, and recorded by Simon Treen for Western Studios Leeds Limited. The music was The Bees from Chopin's Etudes, which is in the public domain, and was taken from museopen.org.